0: Good morning, everyone, how are you? Well, good morning, it is so great to see all of you. It was so great to hear Aaron uh, remind us that we need to start squeezing in a little bit too because it is getting a little more crowded again. So it's gonna be uncomfortable for us for a while, but if you've been a Christian for very long in your life, you'll know that God calls us to uncomfortable things every once in a while, doesn't he? Um, Some might even argue if if it doesn't feel uncomfortable, you might be doing it wrong, I'm just gonna say that. So I was reminded this morning um, in my uh, prayer time That um, Abraham, if you know the story of Abraham from the Old Testament, that Abraham was a man who wasn't searching for God, wasn't serving God by any stretch of the imagination. And God reached into his life in, in some profound way, and he just asked Abraham to come with him. And the bible tells us that abraham left everything behind and he followed god and he came into what is now we call the promised land it was a land that god had promised abraham but it came on the heels of his his willingness to get uncomfortable his willingness to go where god was calling him fast forward a few pages in the old testament you got the story of a man named moses who was out tending his father-in-law's sheep and in the middle of the desert he sees this bush that's on fire, but not being consumed. You guys know the story of Moses and the burning bush? And and here's the reality. Moses had at that moment a decision to make. He could stay where he was, or he could look at this thing that he was pretty sure God was doing, but he didn't know for sure. But the only way to know was to walk towards it. And so, so Moses moved towards the bush, and then God spoke to him and says, hey, take your shoes off, bro, or your standing's holy ground. And like, it's just a cool story. And then we move into the New Testament, and we see Jesus calling his first disciples fishermen, right? Just working the day job, like just looking for the weekend, waiting to get to Debbie's and play some slots. Anybody? Right? Just wanting to do that thing. And then Jesus comes in, 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 into their life and says, hey, leave all of that and follow me. And uncomfortableness comes to them, leaving everything they know to be comfortable and, and, and the, uh, the same behind. And they follow after Jesus. And Jesus, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, hallelujah, he speaks to his disciples one more time and he challenges them to take the message of who he is, the gospel of Christ, we would say, and to go into all the nations and to proclaim him. And so the, the following of Jesus, the, the, the listening to Jesus in, involves a response to him in our lives many times. And it causes for us some uncomfortability. And if you've been fallen for a long time, you know what that feels like. And you also know the fruit, right, or the benefit of listening to God and obeying Him, on on the heels of that. So that being said, um, it is an honor of mine to introduce to you someone who's going to share our message today. We're going to be in Luke chapter three. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But this person is a friend of mine. Um, she has been a member of the church for a very long time. You're going to know her when she walks out. I'm just trying to build her up. It's going to be awesome. Um, but I. All of that to say, she felt a call from the Lord many years ago, as like some of you did. And she's been pursuing this for some time. And the, the, her saying yes to the Lord repeatedly and continually has led her to this place this morning where she's going to share um, the message of Jesus to us this morning. So would you please put your hands together for our good friend, Mary Antal?
1: Good morning. Wow. Well, how do I follow that up? Man. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, as Pastor Jeff said, my name is Mary Antal. If you didn't know my name, you you might recognize me. I usually spend all of my time back there in the cage, but I'm free range now. I have this whole stage. So that's amazing. Um, So I know today is a really special day. And I know some of you guys are really excited for what's taking place later this afternoon. You know, you might even say that today is a super Sunday and, and I'm sure you guys share your, your joy with me because on this day, in the year 1809, the 16th president of United States of America, Abraham Lincoln was born. It's his birthday! That's why we're excited, right? Right? That, just me? Just me? No, no, no. I know I know why you guys are excited because today is my mom and dad's wedding anniversary. Here they are. Here they, there's my dad. I don't know where my mom is. There she is. Can you guys stand up real quick? We are crowded. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Because if it was not for them, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be up here. Happy anniversary, mom and dad. No, I know there's a football game on. Now, as a Bears fan, we get to enjoy the Super Bowl because we're never in it. So, so we, don't have, we don't have the stress, the worry of, is our team going to win? We just get to enjoy the food and the halftime show and the funny commercials. So, yes, I know today is a special day, and I will try not to keep you all afternoon. So you'll be home by halftime, I promise. All right. So before we begin, I wanna give you guys three blocks that you can like maybe use as a foundation for our study today. Now I'm a high school literature teacher at LSA, go Lions. And it is a lot of fun. I love hanging out with teenagers all day. I do. I promise I do. Um, But before we introduce anything new, whether it is a poem, whether it's a novel, a short story, or an essay, we always look for identifying markers that will help us understand what the original author had to say. And that same concept applies to us as we study scripture. So there's three things before we dive in, before we start reading, I want you guys to to think about and keep that tucked away in the back of your mind as we study. The first thing is we need to remember the context of Luke's gospel. In the beginning of the chapter, we see he is writing to an important man named Theophilus. And he's not writing to Theophilus because Theophilus doesn't know anything about Jesus. No, he's writing as a spiritual second. He's like, I want to acknowledge that what you've heard is true. What you've heard is true. Here's here's something we need to know, though. Luke and Theophilus are not Jewish men. They're what we would call Gentiles. And so it's important for Theophilus to get this perspective coming from Greek culture, coming from Gentile culture. So that's the first thing we need to remember. Secondly, we should remember that what we are reading should be and is true actual history, okay? These are historical events about real people that existed in real time. And it's important for us to remember that because sometimes we can get caught up in the figurative language of the Bible. But these are real events. So remember that. This is a historical account. And finally and this should be in the back of our minds whenever we approach anything in scripture, we must have a posture of humility, okay? Because if we read scripture to find what we can find, then we're not gonna hear the word of God. But if we read scripture from a posture of humility, then he will reveal to us his truth the way it was intended, okay? So, context, historical account, humility. All right? So as Jeff said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, verse 1 through 22. It's a whole lot. We're going to get through it together. So go ahead and open your phones, open your Bible app, open your Bible. If you do not have one around the seat next to you or maybe below you, you will find a hard black copy Bible. You can keep that if you do not have a Bible. Merry Christmas. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) All right, so bear with me. We are going to just run through this passage and then we are going to study it further. Sound good? All right, verse one. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. My favorite part. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let's take a break real quick. That was a whole lot of names in a whole lot of places. I'm not kidding guys, I think I've read those six verses probably a hundred times in the past 48 hours, making sure I pronounced them all, all right. I think I did okay. But let me just stop for a second and point this out, okay? We today as modern readers might just fly through those verses and think nothing of it. But remember the historical context. Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus and he wants him to be aware of the political and the religious environment that John began his ministry in. It was a hostile time and we're gonna break that down later. But just by mentioning these names, Luke gives context into the original reader and us, the modern reader as well. Let's pick up in verse seven. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for bringing us all together today. I know there are other things on our minds right now. I know there are celebrations to be had later. But God, I ask that you remove all those distractions from our hearts. God, I pray that your will and your words are the only things that we hear and that we feel today on this Sunday, February 12th. God, your will is the ruler of our lives and may that only be made more evident by the study we have today. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, I told y'all we had a lot. That's a whole lot. And besides the political and religious environment that we've already discussed, we see John preaching to people. We see prophecies from Isaiah. We see Jesus getting baptized, John thrown into prison. It's, it's a little bit of everything going on here. It's like, it's like the Chinese buffet of scripture that we just studied. <laughs> now, don't worry. As I said, we're not going to dissect the entire thing because that would take all day. But what I want to do is I want to look at an important message from John. In fact, I would call them words of warning that he gives his audience and that I believe he gives us as well. So sound good? Sound good? Okay, cool. So earlier I mentioned I'm a high school literature teacher and we could... We could, and who knows, maybe we'll do this tomorrow at school, but we could take this passage and we could look at the symbolism, the imagery, the metaphors, all the various literary devices that are used, but that's not what we're gonna do. In fact, I wanna take off my literature hat and I'm gonna put on a historian's cloak just for a minute. Now, earlier, I mentioned that there was some importance in all of those names and places that Luke rattled off. And none can be more important than Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee. Now, when you think Herod, you might think of King Herod, the King Herod that we see in Matthew two, verse thirteen. That King Herod, who was chasing, chasing after Jesus, wanted him dead because he was petrified of losing his power. Well, this Herod is actually the son of King Herod. So for all intents of purposes, we're gonna call him Herod Junior. And Herod Junior was just as ferocious and mean and vile as his father. And you might wonder why. Well, some historians have it that King Herod actually had members of his entire family, of his own family, murdered because he was so afraid of losing power. He was so afraid that he would one day no longer rule Judea. In fact, there is a Roman historian, his name is Macrobus, and he wrote that one of King Herod's sons said this, it was better to be Herod's pig than his own son. Could you imagine that fear that Herod Jr. grew up in? And so when Luke is mentioning Herod Jr. at the very beginning of this letter, Theophilus knows, oh my gosh, John's gonna be in some hot water quick. No pun intended. But there's something else at play here. When Luke mentions all of these leaders, specifically Herod Jr., He's adding to the historicity or the reliability of scripture because believe it or not, there are thousands upon thousands of people who think that the Bible is nothing but made up words all put together by a group of men hanging out playing poker in the basement. I don't know, but they doubt that it's true. They doubt that it's real. The second cornerstone, the second building block for this study is to remember that this is a true account And Luke gives us evidence by stating that this is when Herod was reigning, by stating, here are the priests of this message. We, the reader, can go back in history and say, you know what? Luke was right. These were the people leading. But here's what blows my mind about all of this, the people who doubt the reliability of scripture. There's a book by a first century Roman historian. His name is Tacitus. And the book is so originally named, History of Rome. And we have three, I say we as modern culture, we have three surviving copies of History of Rome. Modern secular secular historians and Christian historians will all agree that this is a real historical document and we should believe everything it says because it really happened. We have three copies. Yet the Bible is debated. Its truthfulness is ridiculed. Its authority challenged. But what blows my mind is this, guys. We have almost 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. That's a whole lot more than three. So have confidence that what we're going to read, what we're going to study is protected by Luke. Evidence is given by Luke because it is that important for us. All right, let me just take a break. Y'all see this cute chicken on this cup? Some of you guys probably know where I'm going with this, but I love chickens. Like I really love chickens, like the real ones. I mean, fried chicken's good too. But I really love, I really love chickens. In fact, two years ago, my husband and I became chicken farmers. Some of you here, I know we've got about 10 families here at Wren that have chickens. So if you need eggs, hit us up. I mean, I feel like the mafia right now with all these, all these people wanting my eggs. <laughs> but what I love about my chickens is they've taught me so much about life. They've taught me how to be content. They've taught me how to trust. And they've taught me how to accept compassion. Cause I think that's a hard thing for us, right? Like it's hard for us to accept praise or compassion or love, especially maybe from someone we don't know. But did you guys know that chickens thrive on words of affirmation? They love to be held, they love to be sang to. In fact, during the summer when it's warm, you will often find me outside singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to my chickens. I have a video of it, I didn't include it, but you're just gonna have to take my word on that. But there's one other thing that my my chickens have taught me. And the first is this, if they're lacking compassion, shelter, community, love, affection, if they're lacking any of that, then they're gonna produce really bad eggs, like tiny ones. I'm not saying the eggs are gonna be rotten right off the bat, no, you can still eat them but there's nothing really there. There's no substance, substance to their eggs. They're, they're about half the size of a happy, healthy chicken. They have weak shells, so they break really easy, and their yolks are usually tiny, pale, and they lack a lot of flavor. And I always wondered why is it that these chickens have to be so pampered? Why do they need to be loved? Why is there a difference between a chicken producing a good egg and a bad egg? It's a chicken. It's what it's supposed to do, right? So what does this have to do with John the Baptist? I'm sure that's what you guys are all thinking. Well, I'll tell you. Had that planned. Let's look at verse 7 really quick. I got to scroll back up here. I'm so sorry, guys. Verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. In verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Right off the bat, the very first words that we see John saying to those who are following him, to those who are coming out to be baptized, is, what are you doing he rebukes them. He calls them a brood of vipers. And then he continues on saying, you need to be bearing good fruit because a time is coming where the bad fruit or the bad trees are going to be cut down and thrown away. In other words, what you root yourself in, what you condition yourself in, those are the results you can expect to see. And apparently, Jesus's or God's followers, the chosen people of Israel are not producing the results that prove that they are conditioned and rooted in God. Picture this. Y'all know my good friend, Joe Alville, right? I'm so sad he's not out here. He's back in our tech booth. He's a man of many trades. And I want you to, to, to picture this. Now, even though Joe loves wrestling, Joe is actually the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. Picture Joe, Pastor Joe, as a professional basketball player. (laughs) Okay? Now, let's say in this world of hypotheticals that I am the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I need a field goal kicker because my field goal kicker rolled his ankle or something. And so I'm like, well, my good buddy Joe is a professional basketball player. I'll just have him come kick field goals. It can't be that hard, right? So Joe comes and he misses all of his attempts, he does terrible. He can't even make an extra point. Why would I be surprised at that outcome? Because he's not conditioned to produce those results, right? If Joe's a basketball player, he can maybe hit some three-pointers, make his free throws, but why would I expect him to be able to make a 50-yard field goal or anything else? Because his roots are in basketball and he's conditioned to produce basketball results. Likewise, what John is saying to his believers, and what I believe Luke is reiterating to us now, what we are rooted in determines the condition of our trees, of our hearts, which then reflects the fruit that we are going to produce. But there's something more here. Why is it that John brings up Abraham's children He brings up these warnings of what's going to happen if you don't have a right standing relationship with God. If if this was only a matter of what fruit the Israelites were producing, if that was the only thing at stake here, then why would he bring these other things up? It makes me wonder that there's something more here that we're missing. So let's go back to his rebuke. He calls the audience, a brood of vipers. Why does he say that? Does that sound familiar to you, brood of vipers? I don't know if you know this, but in Matthew, Matthew 12:34, in Matthew 22:33, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders in Jerusalem using the exact same phrase. So here's John telling religious leaders, calling them out, saying you're a brood of vipers. And we see later on that Jesus says the same thing. Obviously they didn't learn their lesson. So what is it, what is so important that it had to be stated by John and then furthermore stated two more times by Jesus himself? Now, when I think of the word brood, I immediately think of a broody chicken. Remember, I told you, I love chickens. And did you know that broody hens, which they are totally a real thing, are some of the most stubborn, vicious birds you will ever come across? I, I want to take a minute and share an example with you, okay? Just, I want to show you the difference between a broody chicken and a happy hen and see if you guys can correlate with this to this passage, right? Maybe this is what John had in mind when he called the religious leaders broody. So my broody hens are hyper focused on one thing and one thing only, sitting on eggs. They are so dumb that they will sit on a golf ball. They will sit on a fake egg. They don't even know what they're sitting on. They just know they need to be sitting. It's all they do, right? And because of that, they refuse to go outside They refuse to eat, they refuse to drink. When you come up to them in the coop, they will attack you, they will scream at you. And you can probably guess what type of eggs broody chickens produce, not good ones. They produce really bad eggs, why? Because they're undernourished. They're not going outside. They're not hanging out with their community. Happy hens, on the other hand, are the exact opposite. They understand that they have a role. They know that they have to lay eggs, but they also know that's not the only thing out there. And so they go hang out with their friends. They go hang out with their caretaker and they eat and they love snacks. My chickens love snacks. They have beautiful feathers, beautiful combs, and their eggs are absolutely delicious. And if you don't believe me, I want to show you a video of a, Broody chicken and a happy one. Cue the screen. Okay, you see this? This is Linda, and she is a very broody chicken. Now, in this video, my chickens okay. are playing with one of their favorite toys. Linda, <laughs> stop being so noisy. And you will hear Linda screaming you in guys the background. The reason why she's screaming is someone else wanted to sit in her nesting box. That's a smart chicken. Linda, Linda, be quiet. Smart chicken. Guys, Linda Linda. loses her mind on a regular basis. Um, She's named Loud Linda. Okay, so Broody Chicken, she doesn't want to go out and play with this really fun chicken toy. She wants to be loud. Now, this video, on the other hand, is my daughter Avery, there. and all of our happy chickens. None of these oh, chickens are broody, else's. and you can see how these chickens trust my daughter. She's five can years old in this video, yeah. and they trust her. One? She's not. not the she's not gonna hurt them. Oh, yeah. Pick her. All the way up. Look at this. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's a happy chicken. And last but not least, this is one of my favorite videos. Uh, this is. A video of our farm, also known as the side of our house. <laughs> and you can see we've got different breeds. We've got baby ducks. And we've got chickens. They were literally waiting in line for their turn to be hugged. The chicken I'm holding in this video, her name is Fanny Mae. <laughs> and I'm telling you, chickens love to be loved. She is an extremely happy chicken, and you can see that difference, even though you couldn't see Linda screaming at her flock mates, you heard it. There is a real difference between being broody and being happy. (laughs) So when John is calling out the religious leaders in this rebuke, he's calling out those who have had this obsession with religion They are so hyper-focused on Judaism, on being a rabbi, on following all the rituals, that they are no longer producing a good fruit. In the case of my chickens, when they become so hyper-focused on sitting on their eggs, they fail to produce anything that's valuable. The Jewish members in John's audience, they were lacking three important things. They were lacking the compassion of their community. They were lacking the sustenance of scripture. And most importantly, they were lacking the life-giving light that is only found in God the Father. With this in mind, it's no wonder why John calls them out on their stubbornness, on their obsession. Hear me when I say this, guys. When we are so focused on the religious aspects of Christianity, when we only care about our church membership, our church attendance or our volunteer hours, then we are fooling ourselves into thinking that we are going to produce a fruit that resembles that of Jesus Christ. Just like my broody hens They are tricking themselves. They think because they are so good at their job that they are gonna produce the best results. And that is the farthest from the truth. It is no wonder then why John called the religious leaders out and why Jesus had to continue to call the religious leaders out, because that's the point. When religion becomes our God, then we lose our faith in the true God. John gives his audience a warning and they were kind of scared as they should be. He says in verse nine, even now that the ax is laid to the root of the trees, every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The audience was troubled and rightfully so. So they do what any wise person would do. And they ask John, what do we do then? How do we produce good fruit? Verse 11, this is John's reply. He says, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. So share. Don't be selfish. Verse 13, John says this, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. In other words, be honest. And in verse 14, John says this, When the soldiers asked, what shall we do? He said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. In other words, be gentle. So you look at those three things, share, honesty, and gentleness, and you could morph those into one identifying characteristic of Jesus Christ, and that is humility, which remember is the third cornerstone of this message. In a few moments, the worship team's gonna come back up and they're gonna sing another song. And as we do, I want you guys to think, what area in your life have you been sitting on? And what areas have you been being broody? So hyper-focused on doing something that you have fooled yourself into thinking that it's producing results that mimic Christ Jesus. Because I can tell you from personal experience, they don't. Remember, I said I spend all my time in that cage. I've been serving on a worship team since I was a teenager. And I thought for the longest time that me serving on a worship team was enough. I didn't need to sit in church. I didn't need to read my Bible because I played the drums on the worship team. And that was important. And when the trials came, and boy did they come, and they're gonna continue to come, I found really quick, I found out really quick that my faith was as skinny as a twig. It could have been snapped at any moment, but had I been hyper hyper focused on Christ Jesus and not hyper focused on my volunteer hours, my faith would have been as strong as the cross. At the very end of this passage, Jesus is baptized. It's this beautiful, intimate moment. And I always wondered why it was that Jesus got baptized. He was sinless, right? So he didn't need to get baptized for salvation. I'll never forget about three weeks ago, I'm typing up my notes and I'm going through all the things and I'm sitting, it's yearbook class. I also teach yearbook. And I had this aha moment. And I went, (gasps) oh. And one of my students said, what is it, Mrs. Antal? Are you okay? And I said, I get it. And she said, get what? I know why Jesus was baptized. He was baptized because he was laying his life, his will down before the father. He said, God, you lead my life, I will follow. And when he got himself submerged into the water and he came back out, he was drenched in humility. And this is that first example of humility that we are called to follow. So my charge to us, to all of us, is this. First, understand that before we can produce good fruit, or in the case of my chickens, good eggs, we must first be rooted in Christ's humility and only his humility. As Jesus laid his life in the hands of the Father, we too must give him ours. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be a challenge, but you have to let it go. The difference, in case you were wondering, between my broody hens and my happy ones is found in one thing, and that is their trust in me, their caretaker. My broody chickens have no faith in me. They think I'm only there to harm them, to take from them. But my happy hens, as we witnessed, on the other hand, love me. They care for me as I care for them. They understand that I only want what's best for them. How about you? Do you guys trust your caretaker? Because your fruit, the fruit of your life, will resemble whether you do or don't. Do you root yourself in Jesus Christ's humility or do you rely on your churchiness to save you? Do you believe that right now you sitting here in this church, in this chair will save you? Will it bring you salvation? It won't. Will it strengthen you? Yes. Will it edify you? Yes. But Christianity and religion is not the end goal because the walls of religion will only deceive us. They will only suffocate us. For our salvation is only found in the empty tomb of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, whew, thank you so much. Thank you for your patience, your love. Thank you for giving us the simplest reminders of how much you care for us, even if it is found in a tiny-brained little chicken. God, I pray that John's words of warning are listened to and, and, and absorbed by all of us here today. That we understand that it is you and only you that we can be rooted in. For as it says in John, apart from you, we can do nothing. God, and I pray as we go about our week, as we go about this month and the rest of the year, God, that we find ourselves laying our life into your hands with the same humble posture of your son, Jesus Christ. Because it is only his sacrifice and defeat of the grave that brings us salvation. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at Rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.